0: Here at Educasts, we continue to provide a comprehensive package of support to aid you in the delivery of our geography qualifications, including expert advice and guidance from our subject specialists to support your teaching, and free resources to be used in the classroom or for blended learning. We're here to support you. Hello there, welcome to Pod. Today I'm joined by Janine Madison. So Janine, you're a researcher at Newcastle University, you're researching for a PhD in the educational benefits of the virtual world to enhance fieldwork, which I'm really interested in, in what you're doing. Before that you worked for the Field Studies Council, you're a tutor. Where did you work?
1: Uh, so it's based down in Pembrokeshire, so Orielton and Dale Fort, so our marine-based centres.
0: And you've done an educational development role as well with them. You've written articles and guides on fieldwork, both the GA and other awarding organisations and the FSC. That's right, yes. And most recently, you've been working on developing Hashtag Fieldwork Live. Uh, that's a series of, if anyone hasn't come across this, it's a series of live fieldwork videos and activities from FSC and Encounter Edu, and uh, over 100,000 YouTube views, which is brilliant.
1: Yeah, quite a scary amount of views. We didn't really expect it. We were very surprised at, in lockdown one when that occurred. But yeah, lots of hard work, but good impact.
0: <laughs> well, I, this morning I was on a, the OCR Geography Forum meeting and uh, Nick Lapthorne did a presentation and the teacher comments in the comment block beside when he was talking about it was just incredibly positive. So that was directly from the teachers who are at the OCR. Ones. It's obviously a fantastic resource, which I haven't had time to, to look at enough. And, and I've just been exploring the biomes on Encounter Edu, and that's another fantastic resource too. And I have to admit it, I'd not seen that until you started to talk about it. So I'm sure there'll be teachers who won't have seen it, and we'll put the links in so that they can follow through if there is anyone who's as informed as I was. <laughs> so Janine, thanks very much for joining us on JobPod today.
1: You're welcome. It's nice to be able to talk to some different people, uh, you know, from our homes, but still nice, these strange times.
0: Yes, it is bizarre really to be talking about fieldwork <laughs> and we're both sitting inside, because <laughs> really we ought to be going for a walk somewhere in the field and talking about this. But covid 19s made some dramatic changes and... Uh, and we've just had to focus on virtual fieldwork. So part of what we're gonna do is, is discuss just what virtual fieldwork means because it's, it's not necessarily means the same thing to different people. There are, there are different definitions of what that is. So we'll determine what virtual fieldwork actually is. And something that does worry me, and I'm sure it, you too, whether it poses a threat to traditional fieldwork uh, because I can see some some schools with some leadership teams who aren't supportive of geography necessarily thinking, ha-ha, we've got the solution. We don't need to send children out anymore. All those risk assessments all disappear. So we'll do that, and we'll also have a look at some of the things you've done on benefits of virtual field work, because you've done a lot of practical stuff that people can just dip straight into. And we'll have a look at some of those quick wins while we go through and help teachers who are wanting to facilitate their own field work, and perhaps when they can and unlock, we, st- we look at a blended approach because I think there are benefits to be had from both. So just tell me what the different definitions are for virtual field work. What is it? How can it be classified? How do you define it?
1: That's one of the kind of initial challenges with this kind of um, field of work is that the terminology is, is difficult and it's contested, um, So I think initially we go for that straight, well, it's traditional or real fieldwork. And we're putting that kind of against virtual. And actually that doesn't sit quite right. And then I've heard things like um, aerobic fieldwork versus armchair fieldwork or aerobic fieldwork versus laptop fieldwork. And actually, again, that doesn't feel quite right either. So The term virtual fieldwork, which is, I guess, the title of this podcast, is actually in itself quite challenging. Um, For me, when I hear the word virtual, I imagine it's like a simulated environment, so it doesn't feel very real. And actually, that might be the case for some virtual fieldwork, you know, and we might be in a a simulated environment. But actually, there's a lot of um, fieldwork that takes place virtually that is authentic, And so we might refer to those as being more authentic digital fieldwork scenarios. I think if if we think about fieldwork, we know it's a specialised pedagogy in various different disciplines in bioscience, geography, um, sociology does fieldwork. But there's actually loads of different modes of delivery. And I think we need to bear that in mind um, without just oversimplifying it into a dichotomy of, you know, in field fieldwork and virtual fieldwork. And perhaps that doesn't give us the broad spectrum of delivery that can happen within um, fieldwork. So, you know, we can have, you know, in-field fieldwork in your local area, or you can have in-field fieldwork, you know, a residential further away fieldwork. And then we have, you know, authentic digital fieldwork. We have desktop virtual fieldwork, 3D virtual fieldwork, blended fieldwork, augmented fieldwork. And so there's a whole host of different delivery modes. And then I think we need to bear in mind that with each of those different delivery modes, there are different ways of facilitating the fieldwork tasks, be that observation fieldwork, inquiry-based fieldwork, whether it's student or facilitator-led. And then as we move into the, the digital realms of fieldwork, whether it is synchronous um, live or whether it's asynchronous and and, you know learners can access it in their own time. So I think there's a really contested space I guess around this terminology of virtual fieldwork. Um, I think I prefer the term digital fieldwork I guess, I think that's more encompassing of all the different practice um, within this area um, because there is a lot of different practice and not much consensus I guess in this uh, area.
0: Well, even fieldwork, the word itself, I suppose is contested because my students used to think we were going to go into a field, and that was that, that was their perception. You give me a whole huge list here, and it, it, I was reminded of something that Alan Parkinson once said about virtual fieldwork is like a virtual pint of beer <laughs> and your terms your um, your different types of fieldwork there certainly aren't ersatz in any way but but the, the definition is challenging um and but there's also this perception problem and I think that's another one to address people just perceive it in a way that they want to rather than rather than the other possibilities
1: yeah I think you're completely right about that perception problem I think that perception problem is challenging because of the terminology that's contested but also especially at this time I think everyone's a bit You know, we've got online fatigue, we're zoomed out. So, you know, when we hear virtual fieldwork, we feel, oh, really, we're taking away that as well. Um, So I think there is a bit of a perception kind of problem there. It's also the the field of digital fieldwork is very change, you know, changeable. It's emerging. It's an agile field. Again, that doesn't really help. Um, But I think you are right in saying that there is that perception problem of fieldwork as well. Um, You mentioned about your students, you know, feeling that they had to do it in a field. Um, I think we often see fieldwork as being the other activity. You have to go somewhere else to do fieldwork. It's an event. It happens separate from, say, the geography teaching. Um, You know, it's that one chance opportunity that students need to get it right. It's not integral or embedded. Uh, And for me, fieldwork should be and we should be perceiving fieldwork as being integral to the subject. Um, you know and we embed those opportunities throughout and the teaching and learners get those multiple opportunities and I think that fieldwork is itself has you know changed practice you know from the kind of cook cook's look and see tours to problem-based or inquiry-based fields work and I think that that progression is good because we don't lose the different fieldwork tasks that we can do in the field. We just add to our kind of toolkit of field fieldwork, and I think digital fieldwork is another one of those kind of tools that we can add um, to our toolbox of fieldwork delivery. So, although I think there is a, I guess a worry by some that this digital um, fieldwork is a you know head to head with traditional or in field fieldwork. Um, I think we have to bear in mind that although in-field in, in, in fieldwork, field you know, is good, we know in-field fieldwork is good, but that digital fieldwork can enhance and it can supplement. It's not about replacing, um, but it is about providing, um, you know, an enhancement to the in-field fieldwork. Um, And, you know, provide more progressive journeys, I guess, for students. So they get more multiple opportunities of fieldwork in different delivery modes to kind of improve their skills and their fieldwork knowledge um, and ultimately their geographical learning, I think.
0: I like what you say about the progression from the look and see Cook's tours, because quite often physical geography has been those sorts of look at this glacial valley. And students just have to take that at face value. And, and and there are many geographers, until we understood glaciation, who would have an entirely different view of how that landscape had been formed. These were eminent geographers who came up with what, with hindsight, uh, bonkers ideas, but they weren't at the time. So the idea of, of analysing a landscape is something that you can do very effectively with digital field work I mean you can do it in the field as well but it does provide that opportunity for enhancing the way that you look at things in a different way.
1: I think doing that embedded throughout your teaching so it isn't just the field trip that you have to travel to to do that but actually as you're teaching about that particular subject area you know bring up some virtual field work, bring up some observation tasks there and then for the students related um, to that topic that you're teaching and I think that's how we can embed fieldwork opportunities in different delivery modes for our learners definitely.
0: There is something to be said for how we look at a how we look at a landscape whether it's a cityscape or whether it's a a rural landscape whether we're looking at land assemblages because geographers see things in a different way from their students. I, I think when I first started teaching I made assumptions about what the students could see because I just took it for granted that that's what they were seeing because I'd done blob de bob years of, of geography. But they don't, do they? So the idea of fieldwork, which is digital, allows them to be led into looking at things in a different way with a geographer's eye.
1: I think it's training for that as well. I know, you know, in my in my past when I've taught fieldwork, I think I started by telling students what they were seeing in the field. And then I was like, oh no, I should be asking them questions about what they, you know, are seeing. What can they see? And then I was a bit like, well, they're not they're not answering it how I'd want them to they're not seeing the things I'm seeing, just exactly what you're saying. And then I thought, well actually I need to give them scaffolds that help them engage with the landscape rather than just me questioning them about it, but actually how can they Begin to critically look at a landscape, uh, be that human or a physical one, and actually practice those skills because it is a new skill um, that I think you're right, we do take for granted. So practicing those is a good idea for students.
0: I remember doing some fieldwork. This was from Blencathra, and we were looking at um, a, a landscape that, was, uh, that it was planted, but of course they didn't understand that. In fact, much of the Lake District, uh, George Mumbio calls it a sheet wreck, so their view of the vegetation and the landscape itself was entirely different from mine. And I, I'd said to them, what do you think it would be like if it had been left naturally? And they, several of them said, mm, messy. They, they thought that the natural landscape was a messy, unordered landscape rather than, um, rather than the one that we, they were seeing, which I think was... Uh, uh, the conifer plantation so that even at that level they were seeing things differently it's uh, it's getting into their minds when they're not trained as geographers i think and helping them to see and think and critically evaluate what's happening and that, and that that's well, i was going to say why do we need digital field work but that's probably one of the real values of digital field work.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think we know fieldwork is, is good. I think that for, for a long while, anecdotally, we were saying that fieldwork is good, but now, it you know, there's loads of evidence, there's loads of research on the, the benefits um, of fieldwork on various domains of learning. But it isn't perfect and I, I think as a, as a pedagogical tool it isn't perfect and for every learner it isn't ideal in every situation and so I think we do need those different kind of fieldwork experiences for f- that provide different ways of engaging with a landscape for different learners so we you know can support the diversity of the needs. For me I think that I feel quite at home I guess in the field um, but I think we need to recognise that you know, the field can be quite overwhelming for students. You know, you were talking there about the students perhaps not engaging in the same way that you were with that landscape, but actually there's a lot to take in for students in a landscape. Um, There's a term that I've come across in in my research recently about cognitive overload, Um, but actually we, you know, think about cognitive overload in a classroom, uh, perhaps in displays or in powerpoints and things, but actually that there is cognitive overload in the field Um, when we're doing fieldwork and actually because of the novelty of fieldwork for learners be that you know the environment that they're in the weather the fieldwork tasks that you're giving students the terrain the fact that they're working in groups with equipment actually those are all new experience for for our learners that actually really push them out of their comfort zone and and that can be a good thing you know we do need to to challenge learners but we need to make sure that they're still able to, to adapt and work within those areas of, of challenge so that they're able to learn and that they're not kind of in their panic zones, experiencing, I guess, that cognitive overload. Um, so yeah, for, for me, I think that digital fieldwork can be good to assimilate uh, learners in environments and getting them more comfortable um, and reducing some of those potential um, negative impacts um, of fieldwork novelty.
0: That's all new to me. I hadn't considered that at all. I knew about it in the classroom. And I'd seen the research about, oh, your your room's too busy. You're agitating students if you do it like that. But I never really thought about it. It it made me rethink. And I think you're right. There is so much going on. I I do remember a project, when I first started the Geographical Association, Dan Raven-Ellison was doing something on young people's geography. And the children were given a picture frame and they were just going to use the picture frame to frame what they were looking at as one way of tidying up that whole landscape that they were looking at that, that just, it was too overwhelming. And it's a little bit like when you try and get them to do a field sketch. Like, what? What? I haven't a clue. Um, so they're just the bit within that frame you're going to do. and. I I should have thought of it, but didn't. It it wasn't until we started talking that I was thinking, blimey, of course. Of course we need to just limit what they're seeing to try and and focus on what's going on. I think that's, that's a really good learning experience.
1: I think Um, you're right. Again, if you just think about that task of a fieldwork sketch, something that as geographers we've all done and we've expected our learners to do. So actually the drawing of the fieldwork sketch is hard in itself to take from the landscape, those little bits. But it's also they're probably sat on the wet ground. They're probably in the wind with the paper running up, you know, blowing around. It's probably raining, let's be honest, you know, fieldwork wise. And they've probably got loads of students chattering on to them and then you're trying to tell them stuff as well and actually that is overwhelming um but for us as you know fieldwork teachers doing a field sketch it feels really normal and natural but you know we've really got to think about putting you know you know in the spaces of our learners in that situation if that's the first time they've done it definitely
0: it does need scaffolding i think uh, you talked about scaffolding earlier and and the students will draw slopes of seventy degrees when what they're actually looking at is twenty degrees, but they they suddenly become hugely massive slopes. Um, and you say, are, are you looking at the same thing as me? Um, and then they then they scribble up the piece of paper because they think I can't do field sketches, and of course they can. But it's um, it is challenging. I I do. We did used to give them some of the lines, some of the basic lines when we did fieldwork but that's a long time ago Um, there's not been very much work done I think Duncan Hawley's written on um, on field sketching but there isn't much I think when you look at the research for the sort of support and scaffolding that you might give for the students but using digital fieldwork is a, a much easier way in to coaching them into being able to draw geographical field sketches rather than either the artists who do you a beautiful artist's impression or the ones who just scrumble up the piece of paper because they can't cope.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that skill development is a real kind of benefit, I guess, of, of digital fieldwork um, to help the learners develop those skills. But I think it goes beyond just skill development that digital fieldwork, I guess, is a benefit. And um, I think it really tackles some of the access challenges we have within fieldwork you know, be that cost, learning need, physical disability, hidden disability, you know, mental ill health. Digital fieldwork can be a tool to increase access and equity within the subject of fieldwork. I also think that digital fieldwork can help us question a little bit about the places that we choose to do fieldwork. If we think about, you know, our fieldwork locations from a sustainability Angle, or perhaps from a global citizen angle. You know, we really do need to question, I guess, the viability of, you know, traveling to a a far-flung destination to experience fieldwork, or even the impact of taking loads and loads of students to those kind of um, hotspot uh, fieldwork locations. I do think that digital fieldwork can help us question the sustainability, I guess, of, of the fieldwork locations that we do. And I think I guess another aspect is that there is a bit of a discourse around, you know, hyper masculinity of fieldwork. The fact that we're often looking when we think about fieldwork through, you know, postcolonial perspectives of fieldwork. And we engage quite superficially with landscapes. And that that is challenging. Um, and we do need to question our practice and our locations with it. And again, digital fieldwork can provide us a tool to do that um, to address some of those challenges. But I think it it also provides those additional benefits. So, yes, it's skill development. Yes, it's about um, those addressing some of the access challenges or thinking about sustainability and choice of location. But there are also additional benefits. I think we can perhaps pace our fieldwork better. Um, If we're using digital fieldwork to support, we can ensure that the pace of fieldwork is driven by students so that we're providing you know, more efficient time in the field where students are able to spend time acclimatizing, feeling comfortable in a, in a fieldwork environment and not rushing the fieldwork task because there's various different things you need to do. Um, I also think we can, you know, perhaps gamify some of our fieldwork in, in a digital sense, which adds, you know, motivation for the learner. And I think we can also look at fieldwork spatially and temporally, through digital fieldwork, which we simply can't do uh, in, in-field in fieldwork. So there are additional kind of benefits of digital fieldwork.
0: I do like this idea of, of slowing, taking it taking it more slowly, because fieldwork always, it's a while since I've done some, to be fair, but it always feels, always felt rushed. It always felt, oh, get, get on to the next task. We've, we've got this to do. We've got this next the study site to go to. and uh, And it's too tempting to... Wait for the light bulb moment for one student who gets exactly what you're saying and then assume that the rest of the class have got it because, as you say, you stood out in the field and it's raining and it's windy and you think that they've all clicked, but actually, no, they haven't. Um, But you're moving on anyway. So so I I do like that idea of of the idea of of digital fieldwork allowing them to take more time to really properly think instead of being told you mentioned gamifying, which I got really quite interested in when I was teaching at Aston. We um, we had a link with the school in Makinduchi in Zanzibar. And um, the teacher who ran it asked me if we would put a bid in, which we did. We got a considerable amount of money to develop an interactive resource. Um, it was at the start of... 360 degree cameras and uh, we could hotspot and and walk into the picture and do all sorts of things. But the company I was working with, and we were, it was 25,000 we had to work with. The company said to me, don't call what we're doing a game. And he showed me, I think it was the Lord of the Rings. He said, there's a game and it costs millions. What you're doing is just a simulation and your students will know it if you're not careful. But we could walk into a landscape and everything was was hidden some teachers didn't like this because it then gave you two or three different ways in you could click on the forest and wander into the forest or you could click on the onto a chamber and it took you into somebody talking about what they were doing with their farm but I don't you'll know better than me but I don't think we've gone very far with gamification
1: yeah I think when we think about gamification we think we do we get that oh my goodness we can make it really feel very realistic but actually it's no, it's not going to be like that because we don't have the millions of pounds like these game developers do and I think talking about it being gamified for learners isn't going to be what they're experiencing it isn't going to feel like the latest FIFA game or whatever it isn't going to feel like that but I think there is some Good steps um, with gamification to um, increase motivation. So I think ESRI do some good stuff with their badging schemes. So it becomes like if you do a certain task, you you get a you get a badge, and you can collect badges. And I think that's a a simple way of adding an element of gamification through badging as a motivator. I've also seen some quite um, interesting stuff um, from the Open University, and what they've done is before they do some of their fieldwork tasks students have to select which fieldwork equipment they would be taking with them on their fieldwork on their virtual fieldwork um and then ultimately it's then oh you have missed out that. that 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 then means that this could potentially happen so i think there's some good elements there about choice of fieldwork equipment um, and having student choice uh, within digital fieldwork and again with the kind of badging but you're right it, It isn't at the stage of it feeling like a game. Um, I think there are steps, you know, there's some um, virtual fieldwork that's occurring in Minecraft and Second Life where there are kind of avatars and environments that are built. But for me, I'm definitely more in the school of authentic digital fieldwork. So real landscapes presented digitally to a learner rather than a simulated um, virtual landscape.
0: I, I want to ask you a little bit, because you mentioned it earlier, um, but just a little bit about the problem in fieldwork and outdoor learning with, with diversity and inclusion and equality, because there is a problem.
1: You're right. I think equality, diversity and inclusion, so EDI, I think as a sector, we are now talking about it. I think we've talked about it in the past as a sector, but perhaps we've not made changes. Or we've not engaged as much as we could and if we have I think individual organizations have done it rather than a big collective group of the outdoors um, getting together and trying to look at the problem and ways that the sector as a whole can tackle that Um, I think you only have to you know do a google image search of field work or geography field work and what you're presented with that google image search will be for some very exclusive. You know, it might be that when looking at those images that come up, you need particular clothing or knowledge, particular skills and knowledge um, to access that environment. Or it feels like, you know, an environment that is physically inaccessible for some, or that they feel, you know, underrepresented in or unwelcome or underserved. And I think that that is a huge problem I think that there are steps. Um, so Institute of Outdoor Learning at the moment is running a, a, a current webinar series on inclusivity in the outdoors. Um, and they have a vision to kind of stimulate conversation and collaboration across the whole sector, but also in, inspire action and, and broaden participation um, at a strategic leadership level. So driven by strategic leadership within the whole sector as well. Um, and there was, there was a recent webinar that I went to as part of that series, um, hosted by Dr. Anjana Katwa. Um, and she used the term underserved communities rather than underrepresented communities. And it was a real, I guess, turning point in some of my thinking about the outdoors. You know, I think that lots of things I'd read about, talked about in the sector was about underrepresentation. But that really puts, uh, I guess, the onus on the individual not being represented in an environment while actually um, Dr. Anjana was talking about underserved and that very much puts the emphasis on the systems, the organisations and how they need to adapt um, for that individual Um, and that's where I think that digital fieldwork can be one of those changes that allows the sector to adapt and it doesn't mean that it replaces um, you know the raft of outdoor learning or fieldwork experiences, but it's another way of delivering um, some of the same um, outcomes, um, and it can promote um, equality, diversity, and inclusion for those underserved communities.
0: Mm. I was like, this was again at Blencathra. I was doing some fieldwork, and uh, we we asked them the question, "What makes this a special area?" That was really the overarching fieldwork question. But they, they undertook some river study work and they undertook various of the bits and pieces looking at landscapes. And one team, they do this in teams and it's a competition. One team were just sitting, doing nothing. Three girls were sitting, doing nothing by the river. And my teacher head came on for a second and I thought, I'll just go and see what's going on here. So I wandered up and said, what's occurring girls? What you? And they said, we're city girls. We've never sat beside a stream before and listen to the water tinkling over the rocks and the wind in the trees. And we're just taking in the atmosphere. They'd never been, they'd never done. They'd never sat by a stream. I I can't remember where the school was. I think it was in a city, Birmingham, can't remember. But they'd never had that sort of experience. and never thought, I suppose their their families had never had the opportunity to take them, which is perhaps what this will help to address. I hope so anyway. Let's talk through the good practice that you've seen in digital fieldwork, then some practical examples that that teachers can pick up on and and run with.
1: Yeah, I think when I'm think when I've been you know researching or or seeing digital fieldwork, I think that one of the big things that comes um, as you know, a good point, and what we should focus on is maintaining that pedagogic focus. So it, it should be whatever tool is adopted; it really should be there to address an identified challenge, um, be that from the learner, from from the facilitator. But there should be a need um, for the digital fieldwork. So not being led by technology. You know, yes, you've got this fancy drone that means that you can create these amazing images. But actually, what's the pedagogic need for those images? What challenge is it trying to address? Um, So I think that's one of the the good practice things that I've been kind of learning and taking from. Usability um, as a facilitator, facilitating fieldwork. It has to be easy to facilitate fieldwork in this way, but also our users, um, although You know, our learners right now, we might think they're digital natives, but actually it has to be usable. It has to be easy to use. The tech that we're using can't distract from the learning task. Um, So that's really important. For me, I think that the digital fieldwork should be student led. It should be inquiry based um, and we should be just delivering that digitally digitally. and I think we can do that. We don't have to always just deliver observation fieldwork digitally. We can do student-led, inquiry-based. I think also that one of the the challenges of digital fieldwork is the response of, oh, but it, you don't get that same collaboration or the same interaction. I think that, you need to work harder to facilitate that interaction but I still think we can build a sense of community and shared experiences using digital fieldwork and I think that that's um, something to work on uh, within this kind of field of work but actually it can be done. Um, so I and that's think
0: one that's thing, one thing that Covid has done is increase that sort of collaboration and sharing of ideas, um, sharing of good practice and generally for free as well. People have got really very generous with their their time when their time has been taken up with a whole raft of of other activities people have actually been much more generous with with sharing and um, and this idea of collaboration across
1: yeah and i think that as you know educators facilitators we we've had time i guess to to work in this realm, this sphere of work, I think what we do need to work on is making sure that learners are able to work in this sphere of of area of work as well. So yes, they are digital natives, but they still need to be trained in how to collaborate and interact using digital means because the majority of their interaction will still be face-to-face or it'll be via social media and using digital tools for learning is very different from either of those. And I think we do need to support learners in, in doing that. We need to provide them training and, and advice in how to engage digitally with education, um, such as digital field work.
0: I think that's right, because we, we expect them to be digital natives, and they are with the tools that they use, but not necessarily the ones that we're asking them to use, where they're. They're using something that uh, provides field references and photographs and its it's location is uh, is identified through GIS. But then it's not technology that they'd use. So they're as uncomfortable with it sometimes. My son sometimes is as uncomfortable with it as I am. Uh, When we started playing around without GIS for the first time, we were both. It's not entirely intuitive. You do need, as you say, you need that instruction to use the tool, overcome your difficulties with the tool and then start using it in a way that makes you think and critically evaluate what it is that you're looking at.
1: And I guess as far as reflecting on, on some good practice first and then I'll chat a few, few a it about those quick wins. But I guess some good practice for me has been some of the, the live broadcast work. So, this is what Fieldwork Live that I was involved in earlier, well, last year now. Um, fieldwork Live drew on um, the kind of Open University live fieldcasts, um, which were fieldwork that was being delivered in the field by um, lecturers and researchers from the Open University being streamed live to their learners in their own homes. And their, their learners were able to interact uh, with uh, the lecturer in the field, um, you know ask questions, answer questions, and direct what was happening with that fieldwork experience. So for me, that's where we kind of drew on some of the experience for Fieldwork life from, and I think that field work from the Open University um, is quite powerful when it comes to having students as decision-makers um, and feeling part of a collaborative fieldwork community, be it uh, synchronously, but digitally. Um, and then I guess some of the, the other stuff that I think is, is kind of good practice and um, the use of 360 imagery, I think you talked a little bit about some of your work with 360 images um, previously, they're re- really easy to capture now. But actually, what we're able to do with 360 images now is use them as a uh, authentic host um, for our digital fieldwork. So students are able to, you know, go into that 360 image and explore it. Um, so there's some software called ThingLink, and and you're able to then um, put videos, put text, put you know diagrams in for students, and they're able to navigate around that space. And that space is that 360 image. And I think that that's a really good way of feeling like you're in an authentic environment. And what's good is that can be accessed using you know, a headset and you can feel like you're in that virtual um, 3D environment, or it can also be done on a phone, on your laptop, um, and it can be done in a desktop setting as well. So I think that the use of ThingLink um, by Newcastle University and the University of Birmingham um, is some other good practice in this area. And then also and schools access
0: these. Uh, is it is it easy for schools to access? For so yeah, thinking?
1: so I think one of the so Thinglink, um, I think there's education licenses which are, are quite cheap, I would say. Um, but a lot of these people are also, I guess, blogging about their experience. So because it is an agile field, these you know, universities are not just publishing in um, academic papers and and journals, what they're actually doing is blogging, and they're sharing their experiences of what they're doing. And because the field is really agile, um, and we're we're learning, and it's quite a collaborative field that there is a lot of um, open access stuff that schools are able to kind of search and look at um, as kind of examples from it as well. And then I guess from a kind of um, quick wins, I guess, so some of this stuff seems a little bit like, you know, there's going to have to be a lot of time invested. You know, the collection of these um, educational objects, ultimately the videos, the data that would then be building these fieldwork experiences. But there are, I guess, quick wins which those that want to facilitate field work, but do so and adopt some of those digital modes um, can do. And you mentioned it, I think, earlier on um, when we were talking about adopting a blended approach. And I think that's really one way that. Um, school geography we can really think about using digital means to support our learners so a a really good way of doing that is providing preparation resources which students are able to access before and that might be you know videos of an environment it might be looking at maps digitally it might be going on google street view it might be looking at old data but what that able are able to do is the learners are able to get a feel of the fieldwork environment, begin to question that fieldwork environment. And ultimately, they're going to feel more comfortable in that fieldwork environment and be able to maximise their time in the field. And I think when when it comes to, say, GCSE fieldwork, we can really begin to make more efficient and better use of our time in the field so that students can... Yes, collect data in the field, but actually have more time to perhaps present or analyse data whilst they're in the field, which is really going to help them consolidate their learning because they've done some of that preparation work prior using a blended model and using some of those digital tools.
0: A real support, isn't it, for inquiry learning, because that's what it is ultimately. But inquiring with lots of different resources, different media uh but it, it puts them in a position of thinking and analysing and critically evaluating what's happening. Um, it's, uh, it's, quick, well, it's a quick win, difficult to put together, but a quick win for your students because you're getting them into the right mode of thinking, which is what you want for the exam, really.
1: And if I was saying another, another thing, for, I guess, for teachers to do is that find a way, I guess, to, to keep and store and collate the data that you collect on fieldwork because there is reams and reams of fieldwork data that gets collected in schools but doesn't necessarily go anywhere and if we begin to collect and collate it what that means is that becomes a really powerful resource that students can access um, prior to going out in the field they can look at then temporal data sets perhaps you can Chat to other schools in your academy chain or your local um, education authority and then begin to look at spatial comparisons in data as well. Uh, And that becomes a really rich tool when it comes to um, the NEA, the independent investigation, to provide those data rich skill opportunities within your topic teaching because you've got this data led opportunity for teaching using those um, collated data sets. And then I guess finally, my last, I guess my last little quick win would be really about including students um, in creating the digital content. I think you mentioned there about it being quite time consuming, and it can be if you're you know creating this digital content from scratch yourself as a as an educator, but actually allowing the students to create those digital resources can be beneficial for them, but then for future years, it's a much Better way of preparing students because it's an authentic student voice when it comes to those preparation resources, rather than a curated experience by the teacher. So I think one way that works really well of is of doing that is enabling students to collect digital videos when they're out on fieldwork. It becomes a great uh, revision tool for that cohort of students, so they can revisit the field using those. digital videos. And then for subsequent years, they can access, look at those videos prior to going out, again, preparing them. So I think that's another little quick win that can be really useful for revision, useful for teaching fieldwork skills in the classroom, revisiting those, and then also preparing students before they go out in the field.
0: I like what you said about temporal change, because most students, if they're 16, don't see change. They're not old enough to see change. But when they start looking at fieldwork over two, three years, even just two or three years is a significant time that they probably haven't clocked. If they're doing something like urban fieldwork, the change in a shopping centre, particularly at the moment, is um, is immense in a short time. But they, they don't necessarily seek change unless you've given them local data like that. And you won't get that from a textbook. You'll get an explanation of change in a shopping centre, perhaps, or, or an urban area. But the idea of student-collected data over time, I think is, you're right, is a really powerful resource. One thing that I do worry about, and, I, and perhaps I'm worrying unnecessarily, is, is fieldwork that's tied in too much to, just to the exam. I think we've had that before with controlled assessment, where... That drove everything, and the the serendipitous discovery fieldwork, which can produce all sorts of unintended consequences, like three girls sitting there thinking that they were just going to lap in the noise of the water over the the rocks, can get lost. And I worry that if we're not careful, digital fieldwork could be too focused without the opportunities for these sorts of Yeah, serendipitous discoveries on the way.
1: I think you're right. I think that a digital fieldwork resource will be curated. And I think that we need to be careful that we don't curate a perfect narrative of a particular process or a particular landscape or a particular habitat, because we get the perfect data that fits what we want it to do. And we don't get all the messy real geography aspect. And I think that that is a potential worry in this area, definitely. I think one way of addressing that would be to have opportunities for students to collect data digitally. Um, so not providing the curated data story, but actually providing opportunities to collect data digitally, maybe using um, photo quadrats. So yes, you've gone out and collected data, but actually how you've collected it is by using photo quadrats, maybe on a sand gene, and then students are using those to still do the stuff that they would do in the field, but doing it digitally. Um, Or again, maybe providing opportunities to to measure things or to count things from from live webcams or or whatever it is, but providing those opportunities for engagement and actual data collection, rather than just digital fieldwork being a curated fieldwork story. I think that is something um, to keep in mind.
0: I think that's essential. I do remember some of my students who at A-level would collect data and then it wouldn't fit the model that they were working against. And then their line would be, I've got it wrong, Mr. Lyon. Did you collect the data properly? Did you do the sampling? Yes, yes. yes. Well, it's not wrong then. So let's try and work out what you have found and how it fits. But their first reaction always is, I've got it wrong and they want to fiddle their figures. And that's, I think, um, the result of us always wanting them to have the right answer throughout the rest of the work that they do. And then they think they've got this one wrong because it's too messy to fit a model. Uh, I do think that's a problem.
1: That's where the, the blended approach can be really powerful here. So students are still going out to collect their primary messy data, but then they're able to use some um, a blended fieldwork approach that perhaps has got um, digital data in it of a temporal nature to then compare their messy you know, moment of data collection to the temporal data set to then draw more reliable conclusions from ultimately. I think that that's where the blended approach can be powerful as well.
0: As we move forward, what's the focus for your research now then at Newcastle University? Where where are you taking it next?
1: So for me what I'm working on at the moment is this classification system. Um, Because of the the messiness, the the lack of consensus, I'm trying to work on a uh, a broad classification of all fieldwork practice um, using the different modes of delivery, with the aim that that can then be used to um, plan diverse fieldwork experiences, uh, but drawing on the broad literature that exists for that practice and that mode of delivery. I'm also really keen on. Um, to do some stakeholder analysis about digital fieldwork. So having student voice um, and educator voice about how to make the best use um, of digital fieldwork, but also including um, subject associations and industry, their views and experiences of digital fieldwork, because we know that um, industry and employers value fieldwork skills and experience, but actually would they, do they value fieldwork skills that would be gained digitally. So I think we need to make sure we have that consensus and uh, and that understanding from those stakeholders. So that's the first aspect, the the kind of stakeholder views and that definition um, challenge. Um, And then I'll be going on to creating uh, what I think is going to be three delivery modes, which will be a blended approach, a um, technology in field approach, and also a uh, virtual fieldwork, which will be authentic um, VR um, fieldwork, um, virtual reality fieldwork. And then each of those three delivery modes will be tested with learners. So it will go through a process evaluation. So learners will be able to say what they liked and and, and about engaging with the fieldwork in that format. How would they change, change it? Again, so student voice is really core to the development work and then finally it will go through a student impact evaluation which will look at um, the impacts on what I think um, effective domains of learning um, and skill outcomes of their learning as well Um, and I'll be doing that, I'm scared to say it on this podcast but within uh, ecology uh, and the biosciences at Newcastle, not within the geography (laughs) department. But <laughs> uh-huh. I know, I can't believe I've just said it, um, but with the hope being that um, the end point, the kind of outward facing bit would be some implementation guides that um, educators at different levels, um, you no know, secondary, college, uh, university are able to use to create their own uh, digital fieldwork experiences. So that's the focus
0: of my work. I think we'll let you off there, not working with geographers <laughs> for that little bit. I'll, I'll not spend time on VR. I I did a work, some work with Sue Birmingham at Manchester Met University last year with primary students using VR headsets. It was a lot of fun, but it's another podcast I think <laughs> to talk about that one. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> so as as we wind up, um, I I just wondered if you had a a key message or a, a couple of of key thoughts to leave with secondary and primary school teachers about quality fieldwork and, and uh, digital fieldwork.
1: I think my key messages would be um, student, as students as decision makers um, and empowering students, be that in traditional in-field fieldwork or digital fieldwork, but having authentic student voice in the fieldwork that you are doing is really important. Um, students as decision makers, making real decisions about the fieldwork that they are doing is really important. I would say another thing would be embedding fieldwork opportunities throughout, so not just that capstone residential that happens, but actually those mini opportunities to develop fieldwork knowledge and skills throughout your curriculum. Um, would be really important. Mm. And I think continue to work in this sphere of equality, diversity and inclusion and thinking about how we can better serve some of our communities who at the moment are underserved in outdoor learning. So be part of that conversation about what will make the sector better at serving those underserved communities.
0: I think that's a, that's a good point to stop. And they're very clear are those messages I think if we take away those three we wouldn't have had this conversation would be unless Covid had, uh, had happened I don't think because that's pushed on our thinking about field work and it's perhaps put forward those ideas that you've said there, your three key to the forefront where they might not have been so much because we had other things to focus on that's been brilliant thank you very much
1: well, you welcome lovely to chat to you John thank you
0: If you've enjoyed today's episode of Jogpod, you might also enjoy the GA annual conference. Taking place online from Thursday the 8th to Saturday the 10th of April this year, the conference gives you access to over 100 lectures and workshops from academics and teachers. There is also a programme of social events, giving you the chance to network with other teachers, alongside an exhibition, so you can discover what's on offer to support you. Prices start at just £50 for the full three-day conference, and student members of the GA can attend for free. Search GA Conference online for more information.